What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say welcome to the show. Uh, So today we got a bit of a rambler for you, a little bit of a bonus type episode. I don't even know why I go ahead and call them that because half of the episodes end up like this anyways, but whatever. So I wanted to come on here and kind of plug some of the episodes that I've listened to recently, some of the content creators I've been enjoying, and then just kind of talk about some of the content. Um, So yeah, first and foremost, I'd like to just say that, um, you know, you should go listen to uh, just about as many of these folks as you can, because I honestly think that each one of them has a very important and a very well thought out perspective on a lot of these, you know, incredibly complicated and, uh, you know, extreme situations that are happening all over the world. But also because I think the more that we build connections with other people, cause you got to figure I'm just some dude, right? You're listening to this podcast but I'm just some dude. You could reach out and say what's up if you wanted to. I do that to most of my favorite podcasters and guess what? Most of them respond. So I also like doing this because it helps me to try to build like relationships with folks, build solidarity and also help you folks build solidarity because that's what we're going for here. I can't, you know, really be on the ground doing as much as I would like as it stands So I'm trying to do what I can to build these, you know, connections, build this solidarity and build this mindset of collectivity. But anyway, so the few that I've checked out recently, um, I just watched, um, or I should say I just listened to the episodes, let's see. The movement highlights Biden's broken promises by by any means necessary. I also recently checked out uh, Growing Food and Getting Free by This Is Hell. I listened to uh, Supreme Court threatens to roll back reproductive justice by by any means necessary. Um, let me see here. <clears throat> Which other ones did I check out? Uh, I just listened to an autopsy on liberal feminism and American Islamophobia with uh, Professor Deepa Kumar, which was on The Empire Files. Um, I just listened to the most recent... December 3rd episode of Give the People What They Want with Zoe and Prashant from uh, People's Dispatch and VJ from Globetrotter. That's a great show. It comes on every Friday live on YouTube. Um, you should find that and check that out. And then it comes out as a podcast, I think, usually the following Monday um, or Sunday, maybe, because it came out yesterday. <clears throat> Um, I also listened to 
coups and counter-revolution in Sudan with Magdi El Ghazuli. Um, there's a few others. I'm trying to find them. The kidnapping of Alex Saab with uh, Ricardo Vaz on the Easton's podcast, as well as the uh, Gary Webb, the CIA, the Contras, and Crack Cocaine, 1999, from the Easton's podcast. And let's see, I also listened to the Battle of Dien Bien Phu with Comrade Luna on Guerrilla History, as well as the anniversary live stream with Gerald Horn and the Cop 26 Dispatch with Vijay Prashad. Um, I checked out some other stuff. I was listening to, I was watching a video on YouTube from the homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynez, who does Unmasking Imperialism on Ethiopia, and I believe there was another one on Honduras, but People's Dispatch also put out some videos about Honduras, so I, um, listened to that, uh, so that's really, that's really about it. I mean, I've been reading also Two Tactics of Social Democracy and the Democratic Revolution by Lenin. Been checking out articles that my homie from Brazil has been sending me. Um, that's really about it. Uh, I guess I really haven't checked out as much content as I thought I did, but I sure do have a lot to talk about, so I guess that's good. Um, So first and foremost, one of the things that seems to be uh, really a trend in a lot of the stuff that I've listened to this week, it is mostly about, you know, different kinds of popular uprisings happening all over the global south in places like Honduras, where uh, they just elected a new uh, administration. Um, I can't remember how to pronounce her first name, but her last name is Castro, um, starts with an X, she's a part of the, uh, Socialist Party, actually, so this is really, really big, because for those of you who don't know, back in 2008, 2009, I believe, uh, there was actually a coup, which overthrew a democratically elected left-leaning government, uh, in Honduras, and which has been reigning ever since. Now, I don't really like this term because it oftentimes leads to perpetuation of, like, certain stereotypes, but the folks in Honduras who have been in the interviews that I've listened to and watched, um, they continuously seem to refer to Honduras as a narco state. Now, it would be better for someone who has a deeper understanding of the historical context to go into depths about this. But what I would like to say is if you look time and time again, countries like, for example, Colombia, where uh, the Reagan administration, the Carter administration, the uh, Bush administration all gave... um, drug money, gave guns, and gave uh, drugs themselves to, first and foremost, um, death squads intended to go kill the um, revolutionaries 
in uh, Nicaragua from Colombia called the Contras. You also had guns and drugs being sent to uh, L.A. and other uh, California uh, street uh, tribes as uh, Fred Hampton Jr., and Fred Hampton himself referred to them as, as well as other members of the Black Panther Party, such as the Crips and the Bloods. Um, the Crips and the Bloods, as Gary Webb points out, were, uh, you know, really began as neighborhood watch centers, uh, or groups, I should say, neighborhood watch groups, who were members of the community themselves who were witnessing the way in which the police, the cities. And, uh, you know, themselves were being under attack, were being attacking, or how do I want to say this? I, I really fucked up that sentence. I apologize. Jesus. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is he shows how the Crips and the Bloods were targeted at a time when they really had no uh, overall principle of violence or, you know, gangbanging, selling drugs, etc. So, like, this, as Gary Webb shows very well can be traced as the origin point when these neighborhood watch groups and, you know, street organizations that came together to protect themselves were turned into what we now call gangs. Um, They were turned into drug dealers. Uh, Gary Webb even says, he's like, most of the kids weren't even selling weed. But if they were selling drugs, they were selling weed. Then they were given crack cocaine. Crack cocaine, fucking guns, and a shit ton of money like folks had never seen before. I mean, you gotta figure, if you're slinging weed, I don't know who, who does what. But for those who may or may not have sold weed before, you know you're not making much money. Like, you may, you might make your car payment and a little bit of extra money on top to get yourself a zip, right? If that's how you're working it. If you're trying to make money, you're fucked. The weed game is almost over unless you're pushing, like, a lot. But anyways, imagine the shift between that and then crack cocaine. The amount of money that they were making. That's insane. And then, of course... That's what made them all that money. So they grabbed these people within these organizations who are more prone to be interested in their own personal interests than the remainder of the group. And then feed these people more drugs, which gets them more money, which gets them more drugs, which gets them more money, of course. Now, the same thing happened in Honduras, as has happened many other places, which is a democratically elected government or some form of, you know, governing body is put in place which questions or calls into question the capitalist system and their part within it. So, for example, you look at countries like Venezuela, like Bolivia, like Iran. Uh, You know, Iran is one of those very, you know, funny examples because someone like Saddam Hussein, you know, he was the CIA's poster boy. And then... He begins to fight for better purchasing pricing for the oil that he's shipping out, wanting to nationalize the refineries, etc. So they take him out. And that's what happened in Honduras. That's what happens all across uh, Latin America, all across Africa, all across Asia, is these groups get thrown into the mix, these puppet governments, right? 
and they usually overthrow uh, popular governments through coups. Um, We just saw one happen in Bolivia in 2019. We saw a few attempted ones earlier this year in Venezuela, in Bolivia again. You have military juntas that take place. You have all kinds of ways in which uh, certain forces within a given society or community are used by outside powers as a personal influence within the society in order to build up their own uh, control and power within that uh, situation. So that's what happened in Honduras. You know, the U.S. and other uh, imperialist countries uh, give the... God damn it, I can't think of what the fuck his name was. Anyways, overthrow democratically elected government in 2008-2009. They overthrow them. They put in a new puppet regime which the people themselves are continuously calling a narco state. This is what the US and its intelligence agencies as well as other imperialist nations continue to do across the world. Now this is not the only place. Um you know, if you look at places, again, like Bolivia, they have been enduring this reality for almost two and a half years now, but this is not new. Coups are not new. Uh, throughout the 1900s, all through Latin America, Africa, and Asia, the CIA, the FBI, and other organizations went across the globe killing, overthrowing, and you know, torturing governments, government officials, citizens, individuals within the society. I mean, you had MAS members who were just sympathetic to the party in Bolivia in 2019 who were killed by the police or tortured or, uh, you know, what did they call it? Because we had the same term for the Portland protest. Disappeared. That shit happens right now. But it's been happening for generations. So, you know, I look at, um, for example, um, that episode that Gorilla History did with Comrade Luna talking about Dien Ben Phu. And I really got a lot out of that because, you know, in, in the same light, of connecting the struggles that are happening today to the struggles which have been taking place for generations. Uh, Comrade Luna discusses how Dien Ben Phu, they had been planning for that for a long time. And really, the Vietnamese people themselves, whether they meant to or not, had been planning their liberation from French colonialism and then from U.S. imperialism from the day that they began to become oppressed. You know, like the same thing happens here in the U.S. The day that the colonizers step foot on Turtle Island, indigenous people are resisting. If you look at some of the first interactions between the Spanish invaders and the quote-unquote New World in Central America with the Taino people... You see that almost immediately the Tainos are unwilling to accept the rule of the white European men. 
who are coming over and saying, we are going to dominate you, we are going to dominate your women, we're going to take over your society, we're going to steal your children, we're going to rewrite your laws, and you're going to labor for us so that we can go back to our queen and she can be happy. Almost immediately, the Taino people said, "Mm mm-mm, and started fucking wrecking motherfuckers. The same thing happened in, like, Borinquen, up in Puerto Rico, right? with some of the first interactions between the colonizers and the indigenous peoples, where, I forget, but Comrade Libre will tell you, so I'm sure if you go back and listen to the episode, actually it is in the episode, not the last one, but the, the very first episode I did with Comrade Libre, he came on and he talked about this. They just, there was one day where the indigenous people, to get across this, like, river that was by their, uh, you know, kind of settlement, um, by their community, I should say, by the white people's uh, encampment and settlement. Um, In order to get across it, the European invaders would force the indigenous peoples to carry them across. So one day, one of them, and, you know, Libre is going to be upset that I don't know the name, so again, go back. I'm so bad with names. I never used to be. I'm so bad with names now. Um... But they just drowned him. They, you know, this one European was like, I got to get across. And up until that point, uh, the, the mythology was that these white devils couldn't die. Uh, you know, there was all kinds of rumors that had gone a- around, uh, mostly spread by the colonizers themselves as, you know, a means of domination and, and confusion. But one day, one of them was, you know, carrying him across the water. And he was just like, let's test this theory. That's scientific socialism right there, yo. That is the foundation. (laughs) Test the theory. Test the theory. Whether it's that or, you know, developing an economic plan. We're talking about scientific approaches to theories here. Only. Only scientific liberation. (laughs) And he drowned him, you know. And then from that point forward, the, the way in which they resisted was different. Because they knew for a fact these people can be killed too. So, you know, this is just one example, but, like, going back to Dien Ben Phu and then also just kind of connecting it to the point that I'm making overall, these issues are generational. This colonization and oppression, imperialism and exploitation has continued for hundreds of years. And we are reaching a point, and I think many of us are aware of this, whether, you know, we're keenly aware of what that means or not, that depends, but I think many of us are aware that we're at a point where the contradictions are very much out in the open, right? What that means is up to us, because in order for those contradictions to actually come to an antagonism, in order for those contradictions to actually lead towards struggle and, uh, you know, kind of uh, clash, is by bringing those contradictions into a clash, because right now, the way the society is set up, it's set up to try to distract us from these contradictions. It's set up here in the United States so that we have all the pretty aesthetics of capitalism, so that we have the nice TV commercials and we have the cool, you know, cell phones in our pocket and we have the big stores full of all the useless things that none of us could actually use in our lifetime, let alone, you know, sit there and, and rot in mass in these storefronts. But anyways, 
we're given this aesthetic so as to distract us from the fact that you are poor. Just because you have amenities, just because you have certain possessions, just because you have privileges that other people do not, you are exploited. And I know this because look at the difference between someone such as yourself and your boss. Now, that's what a lot of us are told to aspire to be, right? We want to work our way up to the top. We want to work so hard that we can grind and get it ourselves. But here's the deal. What that actually means is taking advantage of people like yourself. And you know this to be true. We all know this to be true because we actually work these jobs. We have to deal with these bosses. We suffer while these bosses make a, you know, an extra few bucks off of our back, off of our hard work, when their manager comes in. And they get to say, oh, look, look at this. You know, so-and-so keeps their store and their employees so well-trained, so well-mannered and clean. Let's give him or them a promotion. As you can see, I'm a bit salty. But anyways... <laughs> That's the, that's the deal, though, is, like, to get to that point, the goal is to exploit more people than you yourself are exploited. That's how you get there. That's how you get to the top. So when we're taught this, when, you know, we are kind of fed into this system, we don't really sit around and question, well, wait a minute. But, so you mean to tell me that, like, I could have all the things or most of the things that I need to live, like food, a house, a car, you know, heat, medicine, etc. I could have all of that. Not now when I need it. But in 10 to 15 years when I've exploited the shit out of all my friends, my coworkers, when I've given up on seeing my family for holidays, when I've completely cut out all of my hobbies, all of my own self-growth, all of my own education, when I've completely debted myself to the world and just became an appendage of the machine, that's when I can get health insurance? We don't sit around and think that because... the. The dependency that we have on that system overweighs any questions that we might have. Because, cool, it's nice to sit there and say, yeah, okay, Josh, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. People shouldn't have to work in order to get health care, but in the U.S. they need to, so what do we do about it? That, that much I can understand, because then you're at a point where it's like, okay, I questioned it, now what do I do? Well, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to actually begin people to do. We want to get people to question it. But we also, and we desperately need to be working on this, we want to have avenues, organizations, and events which they can participate in when they begin questioning things to a point where they want to do something about it. We can't just give people the seeds of questions and then not give them any answers. So, you know, when I'm thinking about all these struggles that have taken place in Vietnam, in, you know, uh, Latin America, in Nicaragua, in Cuba, in, um, you know, Burkina Faso, if you're looking at, like, right now, um, another thing I was checking out was uh, there was this article this morning, the Shack Dweller Movement, which I do apologize, but I do not know how to pronounce the actual name. 
um, but they're from South Africa. Um, they just elected a new, like, I don't know what part of their organization, but I believe it's their, it's their central leadership. And, uh, People's Dispatch did an interview with the general secretary. Um, oh, jeez. Anyways, of course, don't remember his name. But he was talking about the fact that, like, right now, you know, the Shack Dwellers movement is fighting up against the uh, ANC, which was the party that Nelson Mandela came to rise on and through. And I don't know enough South African history to speak on the character of the party at this current time. But what I can do is say that in the article, it seemed that the shack dweller movement feels as if the ANC in the 27 years that it has been in power has been incapable of providing for the needs of at least these groups of people in the ways in which they need. Again, I'm not going to comment on the character of this struggle, only the fact that it exists because I know very little about it. And I think it would be very ignorant if I were to go into any kind of discussion further. But this struggle is against a party that Nelson Mandela was a part of. Now, Nelson Mandela, for a lot of us, is this, you know, triumphant man who, uh, you know, was in prison uh, unjustly and came out just like, you know, for example, for us here in the United States. Nelson Mandela was painted in the United States to be someone like uh, Martin Luther King's, you know, perfect non-violence persona. Um, That's not the case. Like, Nelson Mandela was not out here talking about, okay, yeah, we we just want to come to peace with the fucking apartheid regime. No, that's not what he was talking about. So, again... The continuation of struggle is clear that this is a battle which will be going on for a long time. And this is a battle which has been going on for a long time. And I think the more that I continue to learn about what's happening all over the world, the more I continue to see a few very a few things very clearly. First and foremost, we have no other option except for revolution. Um, There is not a single soul on this planet who is working class, who is proletarian, who is, you know, exploited, who would not benefit from the revolution. second thing that this helps me see clearly is that people know this and they're going to help um they're already starting it across the world um you have countries all over the world where in total right now hundreds of millions of people are rising up fighting you know vaccine apartheid they just um for those of you who don't know they uh just moved the uh meeting that was supposed to be had in order to discuss loosening the intellectual property patents on vaccines um, 
they just moved that meeting again because of the Omicron variant. Now, let's talk about irony. And it's disgusting irony. And it's depressing irony. And it's ultimately deathly irony. But irony nonetheless because of the absolute commitment to pure exploitation and oppression by the ruling class imperialist countries of the global north against the working class proletarian people of the global south. Um, I think that what's really incredible is the fact that these intellectual property patents exist at all. Because this means that countries like, for example, Cuba, had to come up with their own vaccine, which took them months longer, and even more months longer, considering the sanctions which Cuba is under, which disallowed them from being able to access the resources that they required as immediately as need be. So any and all deaths that happened in countries like Cuba, any and all deaths that happened in South Africa with this variant that was discovered first actually in Europe, in the UK, not in South Africa. Um, And also, side note real quick, and then I'll try not to ramble anymore. Uh, About a year ago, they held a conference at the UN that said we will refuse, we will stop naming these variants after regions that we believe them to have originated from because it is leading to violence and expressed hatred for different exploited and oppressed people groups. And yet, what do they call this variant in the United States? The South African variant. Again, if we're going to go on naming names, that's the UK variant. Thanks there, Tony, or uh, Tories. Tories. Jesus, I almost called them Tonys. <laughs> Fuck them, they're British. Who cares? Anyways, um... <laughs> If you're looking at these struggles that are taking place now, again, they are in connection to struggles which have been occurring for generations. And what this also helps me to understand, and the last thing this helps me to see clearly, is the fact that we have a direct course we're we're able to chart. We have previous knowledge. We have active organizations that have been in existence for decades, which have the experience which have the knowledge, which have the lessons that they have learned from their previous mistakes so that we don't have to make those same mistakes. But yet all over the world, we see these organizations gaining far more popularity than other grassroots organizations that seem to be left-leaning, that seem to use the right rhetoric, that seem to want the correct things, but time and time again, their hypocrisy betrays them. Time and time again, reality forces them to consolidate their power and remind the people that, in fact, this is a class society. That this society is built for the ruling class. And that this society cannot be allowed to continue forward as it exists today. The struggles which we are taking part in today are struggles which have been taking place for generations. We can have hope in that. We can have hope in the fact that a future is coming where people 
are incapable of being lied to, of being misled, of being tricked, of being duped, of being fooled into believing that the system has anything of benefit to give them. Now, in saying this, I want to remind us that the only thing that we can do with this energy is organize. The only thing that we can do with this energy is come together and build a new world. So let me read to you before I go, because I'm just pulling up to work. This little piece of propaganda I done wrote titled, Your Struggles Are Not Your Fault. The majority of people alive today are facing some sort of struggle. Whether that be economic, social, or political depends on the given situation. Very few of us still have jobs today. Jobs which do not provide a proper living wage. Jobs that do not provide us with enough money for all the things we require in today's society. Those of us who do still have jobs can't get away with simply working one full-time job. In many cases, we work two or three part-time jobs, hoping to be able to make up the difference if we find more hours to put in. Many of us have no home. If we live in an apartment, it takes up so much of our monthly income that we can't even ever imagine saving for a house of our own. The, quote, American dream, unquote, that was painted to us all through public education and mass media has never been true. It has always been a sham. The exploitation that we face today is nothing more than a continuation of the capitalist system itself. It is simply not built for you and I. And how could it be? If that were the case, the workers would have had control over the world years ago, as it is those who labor. Those who have built civilization since the dawn of time, who are not building it for themselves. At one point, this was a shared activity that was done in common among all the people of a given society. Class society and then capitalism turned this into a wage-based form of enslavement which is done by people all over the world for the benefit of less than 3,000 individuals. Those 3,000 who own the massive corporations, banking firms, and military contracting companies are the ones who benefit from this enslavement and exploitation. It is capitalism that led to the colonial period where Europeans went around the world enslaving entire people and stealing their labor, resources, and land. It is capitalism that led to the imperialist wars, better known as World Wars I and II. And it is the capitalist system that has led to the ongoing pillaging of the global south, its resources, its land, and its people. And it is capitalism today that is exploiting and oppressing us all in common, even including the earth itself. The exploitation that we face is no different than the exploitation faced by those that have come before us, in essence. It has, however, taken many different forms historically, all for the sake of division, distraction, and further exploitation. You see, when slavery was no longer a viable practice, it was made so when enslaved people shed themselves of their oppressors in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and even here in the U.S., 
there could no longer be such explicit forms of enslavement of humans by other humans. So, as we know, quite well in the U.S., they turned to mass imprisonment in private prisons. They turned to public health discrimination, police killings, deportation, and other violent forms of repression to replace slavery. In similar fashion, when outright genocide against indigenous communities of Turtle Island was thwarted by their militant resistance by indigenous peoples themselves, the U.S. formed reservations, wrote bills and other legislation forcing indigenous people to assimilate into white capitalist society. As we also know, this very society stole these people's land, hired goons to attack them or burn down their homes and crops. It set up schools where children would be stolen from their parents, brainwashed, sexually and physically assaulted and abused in many other ways, all meant to force indigenous peoples to kill themselves in a way in order to go on living within this new system. All of this is symptomatic of the capitalist system, which developed colonialism and imperialism to meet the constant necessity for growth, profits, and power. This exploitation has a root cause. This suffering has a central point of origin that is not people's laziness, stupidity, selfishness, or lack of motivation. This exploitation and inequality that is created is written into the very capitalist system itself. Capitalism is a system where for most days out of the week, most hours out of every day, you and I have to be somewhere, working for someone else. Oftentimes in monotonous and methodical ways that lead to disassociation and alienation. We've become so entranced in worthless jobs that barely pay a pittance in comparison to the bills and the expenses the average person requires each day. We have become appendages of the machine. Capitalism was a historical development that came out of the feudal absolutist system and has been reigning over the world ever since. This system has looked different in different periods. It has taken different forms and strategies towards the exploitation of the masses at different times for different reasons. But in all systems since the dawning of class society, there has been some form of oppression and exploitation of the people by the privileged and powerful few. Why? Because it benefits those wealthy and powerful few. How? They have taken power into their own hands through the use of what we call the state. The state is an organized tool of violence, a tool by which one class oppresses another. But this tool has developed a certain way under certain systems for the benefit of certain people. Up until countries like the USSR, China, and Cuba began to take up the fight for working class liberation... The state was always used by the minority of people within society, that is to say the few powerful and wealthy, and has been wielded to oppress the majority. If it were not so, the masses of people today would have power themselves. Why? Because the masses of people are who built the societies we live in today. If that were not the case, why were they enslaved to do so? Why are we focused on, or why are we forced to labor 
our whole lives away, while some are able to live off the labor of others, never having to work a day in their lives. Why is it that the wealthy owners, the bankers, the military officials, the politicians, and others are able to have health care, food on their tables, nice homes, even big vacation getaway homes, along with everything else they could possibly ever need, all without doing a single thing for society themselves, all while not laboring for others a day in their lives. This is because, again, this system was built on exploitation. But in order for this to be so, someone had to build it as such. It would not benefit the exploited masses to build a system that would exploit them. Otherwise, if they had, they surely wouldn't have picked the role of the exploited. Therefore, it must be understood that the society we live in today is controlled by and has been built for the control of the exploiters alone. Our struggles that we endure each day are not of our own making. They are manifestations of a system that is inherently unequal, intended to take all from you and I that it can all while paying us the littlest amount of money that it possibly can. A minimum wage even had to be legally set in order to force them to pay us that much. Whether it be drug addiction, houselessness, a lack of education, food insecurity, or some other struggle, let it be known that these are not the people's fault. It is the fault of the system which produces more food, builds more houses, develops more medicines, trains more doctors, constructs more hospitals, grocery stores, has more farming fields, has more clothing and any other products necessary to human survival than ever before, and yet continues to keep those things locked away for those who can afford to pay for them. Yet the same people who cannot afford to buy these things are often the very same people who produced them. Today, the masses of enslaved laborers who are forced to work in sweatshops to produce all of the goods that our country and others import cannot afford even the products they are producing themselves, let alone homes, water, medical care, or food. How can it be that there are this many lazy people how can it be that there are this many stupid people how can it be that this many people who produce the very things we use to keep ourselves alive cannot afford the very things they require to stay alive themselves it is because this system was not meant to provide for the producers It was meant to provide for the wealthy and powerful factory owners, transportation corporations, and resource extracting firms. It was meant to benefit those own, those who own, not those who labor. This system was built for those who oppress, exploit, and force the masses of people to suffer. This system was built for the slave owners, whether they go by that name now or not. Our only hope can be found by coming together and searching for new forms of life. We have to struggle. That is the whole basis to the capitalist system. But we can struggle and hope that one day things will be better because we worked that hard, 
or have seniority, we retired, or some other fever dream. Or we can instead struggle to create a new society, not based on exploitation. And we can instead fight for a new society that is not based on the constant suffering of the world's population. In order to do that, we have to get organized. We have to form parties and community groups. We have to build breakfast clubs, transportation companies, and community gardens. We have to develop self-defense networks and popular education classes, among many other things. We have to train, educate ourselves and others. We have to learn history, understand struggles of the past, and find ways to implement their historical lessons today in our own struggles. But we cannot and we will not do this alone. Otherwise, we will fail. We must come together in a true, organized way. Our struggle today is not our fault, but it will become so if we do not free the masses of exploited and oppressed people all across the world. Starting right where we are today, especially now that we are conscious of this necessity. Our success can only come from uniting under the same banner, fighting together for socialism and for liberation. This is the only way towards a new tomorrow. Long live the people's struggle. So I hope you folks enjoyed that. Um, That took me a little bit of time to write and edit, and I still... You know, I didn't read it verbatim as it was written because as I was reading it, there were some things that I was noticing still needed to be edited. So I kind of edited them as I was speaking. But I hope that you enjoyed that. Um, I hope that um, it meant anything to you in that, um, you know, in your struggles today, in your, you know, depression, the anxiety that we're all facing with all of the things that are going on all over the world. I hope that today you can take hope. I hope that today you can find inspiration in the global south. And I hope today that you can recognize that you are a part of the generation. You are a part of the people who will be a part of the revolution. You are a part of the world in a time where the world desperately needs to change the most. And therefore, if you want to, if you really want to, you can change the world. We can't do it alone, and we need to get organized. So what I am saying to you today, I hope you will heed as important. Um, I want you to join a revolutionary party. I want you to join a community organization. I want you to join a local community garden. I want you to join your works union. I want you to join your local group that is writing letters to prisoners. I want you to join the local group that is going around and trying to get people to vote for different socialist and popular representatives in your community government positions. I want you to go join a reading group and read revolutionary theory. I want you to go join a group that is going to do a delegation to a socialist country. I want you to join an organization. I want you to be a revolutionary. Let's do it together, folks. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay revolutionary, and we'll see you next time.